This is Bob Mack, and you're listening to Crash in the Party with Mark and Miriam. Well, if you give a party, don't lock the doors, turn out all the lights, cause if you don't let my boys inside, it's going to be a fight. Well, we started out this morning, we're going to rack some heads, we saw the names that had to call the heat, and now we're laying dead. Well, if you give a party, don't lock the doors, turn out all the lights, cause if you don't let my boys inside, it's going to be a fight. Greetings and salutations once again, and welcome to Crashing the Party, the very best in doo-wop and R&B vocal group sounds with your hosts, Mark and Miriam. And we're bringing Bob Mack back. Yes, because you asked for it. We had such a huge response to our Bob Mack show that we decided to bring him back for another episode. So here's Miriam to tell you more about it. Hey everybody, we're back here at Crashing the Party with the fantastic Bob Mack from Pittsburgh, PA, the king of the scene whose story we've been wanting to tell so many times. We started off with that first episode where he really led us through his early days getting into music, collecting, and also all of the great records that he was starting to explode with there in the Pittsburgh area. Today we're going into more of that, but my big curiosity was the dance clubs that he he expanded on. There were a dozen, weren't there? Yes, uh, you're correct. Uh, uh, That was in the 60s and some of the other Yeah, okay. Well, at any rate, let's have a little recap of uh, where we were going with that whole topic of the incredible 60s garage monsters that you brought to the scene and the kids were stomping to at the dances in the 60s. Before that, you were doing radio. Let's hear a little bit more about that. Lead us back into that, won't you? Well, Mary, let me just say first that it's a pleasure and honor to be with you. My mission in life uh, matches yours so closely. Uh, it was to find as many uh, incredible recordings, rhythm and blues especially, and some others uh, that and artists that had never seen the light of day and get this incredible music that was overlooked to as many people as possible by all means possible. And that's why the dance club happened here. And uh, that's why the radio show. And, uh, you know, I'm in my 80s, so that's all over for me. And I only know one person whose mission in life has matched that, and that, that's you. You've been bringing artists to other people. So anyway, last time, yeah, we talked about the uh, music that uh, uh, was a mystery and it uh, was awesome and people didn't know it that was the big thing and uh, when they heard it they went crazy uh people tape recorded the show even alan Freed didn't have that going on they were trying to figure out what these records were they went to the dance clubs and packed uh, uh, these dozen clubs that we had in the 60s but uh, bottom line is when we uh, went through that story and played uh, some of that music, mostly the rare doo-wop that was from the, uh, primarily the dance club records. And uh, 
at the end of that, you mentioned that, uh, uh, well, you had uh, found out, I guess, that I had uh, also uh, multiple collections of uh, records, some for the dance club, some for radio, and then I mentioned the garage. And you thought that this would be a great, uh, a great thing to do. So the bottom line is I put together uh, a few sets of uh, rare and awesome garage records that I hope your audience will really enjoy. I'm not on the radio anymore, I'm not So I'm glad to be sharing with your audience, and I'd like to share with them what I've done all my life, uh, some of the most moving, incredible records that uh, I've found in all the years, over all this country, uh, with your I know some of these records that you mentioned that you're going to be playing, and I have to tell you, this is absolutely top rank, the very, very best in 60s Garage that are very rare records and super favorites over here. It's stunning that you were finding these records back then and that you were having your DJs at the clubs playing these in a dozen different clubs around the area. It's mind-blowing. So let's dive in with the first set. And yes, please do tell us about the records after we spin this trio first, okay? Let's go with the Swingin' Machine. Virginia. What a record. Woo. Yeah, that, that, the beat of that thing. And, you know, I did, by the way, I'll just throw this in. I didn't collect 
the English kind of garage, uh, that kind of limp wristed stuff. And, uh, <laughs> I, I basically liked the Midwest, well, basically the heavy beat American uh, garage records, and that's what you'll find. And also some great voices. Uh, for example, the next record, guys, uh, the group is Outcry, and the title of that is Can You Hear? It's on Riley. A group was from Texas. It was uh, made in 1967. I'm a sad and lonely man. I get my love in any way I can. I've got a love that's oh so true. And listen, baby.
admissions of real record. You've got me hurting on pick without a K. Uh, they were out of Texas in 1965. Oh my God, three scorchers. Now tell me about it. Where were you discovering records like this? Where were you picking them up? And with the dance clubs, about what year were these things getting spun? Well, I, we mixed it in. The dance clubs were based on the great uh, uh, rear uh, rhythm and blues. Uh, but we, uh, we mixed in a lot of uh, uh, garage records uh, at the dance clubs as well. Of course, everything there, uh, you know, had to uh, be one of two things. We'll have both actually. Uh, they had to have, uh, they had to be rare and they had to be awesome. I go, well, okay, it's rare, but it's no good. It's meaningless. If it's awesome, but they made millions, and everybody has it, it's no big deal. But if it's rare and awesome, that was <laughs> secret. Rare and awesome. Go. Yeah. And, and so, anyway, we mixed the garage in with the Blues, and uh, uh, it exploded in the clubs. I, I uh, told you about how I got most of the rhythm and blues records, and most of the garage records actually came from the same source inside of people in seven different cities that sent me incredible stuff. Wow. That, uh, you wouldn't find in any one place. Uh, but uh, you, and one other thing that you had asked about uh, was the uh, different collections. You right. asked me last time if I used the same records on radio, and uh, I never really explained that. Yeah. So I'll, t I'll take a second. Okay. Um, the biggest part of the cream of the crop, about 10,000 records, maybe 8,000, were our rhythm and blues dance records. Uh, and uh, the uh, a couple thousand that I put aside for the radio. And the reason for this was the people that uh, were at the dance clubs, uh, as I mentioned to you before, those records, my rhythm and blues, uh, and at the dance club, it was R&R. &R, and that's romance and rhythm. Yeah. Because they were in a dance club. They wanted to do two things, dance and make love. So I wanted to, uh, that's why, uh, I played records that always were uh, danceable as well as awesome. Mm -hmm. And uh, and uh, the ballads that had the harmony and all that, but had the words of the love song. So when they were embracing on the dance floor, uh, sometimes they were naive. And I, say, I uh, said what the girl or the guy would say to their uh, partner, uh, that maybe it was the words of the records. Mm -hmm. It was quite, uh, quite a complex form, but it worked. With the clubs, when you were getting the sets together for the DJs, now you've got a dozen clubs. I know that you didn't have a dozen copies of the swinging machine to spread around to these people. No, no. You were putting very different sets together for different towns, right? Did you have a, a finger on the pulse there or what? Let me explain it this way. Uh, I had multiple sets. Uh, as I said, now, uh, the set for the dance club had to be for lovers, uh, the great love songs, and the, the dancers, the monkey beat. The workers, the next collection that I had, it was all one big collection, but the next individual segment 
of that collection was the radio records. And I mean, it was like a loving machine and, and think that and wild and crazy stuff. Yeah. Uh, instrumentals. A lot of stuff that I didn't play at the dances. Why? Yeah. They were listening on car radios or transistors in the park. They wanted a dance club. Yeah. So it didn't, it didn't have to be rhythm and romance. So uh, the stuff on the radio, that, that collection that I had set aside just for radio, yeah. sometimes it got intermixed. But uh, that was just, uh, it, it's, you know, car radios, they just, they're turning in and it's, it's for fun. It's a good time. It's, you know, yeah. a wild, crazy, and fun. So that's, that's those two. Then the garage records, it wasn't 8,000, uh, like a dance club R&D or 2,000 for the radio. It was stuff that just had such an incredible rhythm and total sound, you know, that we mixed it in. But it wasn't in the thousands. I might have had less than a thousand, maybe six, eight hundred. Oh my lord! Is these are these were your records, right? These weren't the DJ's records. How did you corral them back in? You know, when you're you're giving them some really mouth-watering records to play on a particular evening, they just handed them back to you and then they went into rotation to another club? Were these like rotation no, no, no. records? Uh, I'm sorry to jump in, but no, no, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're asking these questions. I had, uh, initially I played uh, every night of the week myself. I didn't trust anybody. Wow. But then, then I only got more clubs and I couldn't be at two places or five places. <laughs> so, and I, I found oh my had to trust some uh, DJs that they, who, and I picked out the people in Pittsburgh who were the most passionate about music, that were, if possible, dancers, so they knew what, what worked and what didn't told them our formula, and I, I had to find people that were well, you know, that already had their own collections. I only gave records to people in some cases, like the Hanky Panky that we, that we talked about last time, where I had a half a dozen or so uh, copies. But at some point, instead of doing it all myself, I realized these dances would be, the crowds would be even bigger if we could have more on the weekend. So then I yeah. brought in the whole team. We had to be qualified. There were a lot of people who wanted to play, but they didn't have the records or the understanding of how to build the sets. Right. And, and what was danceable and what was a listening part. Right. It was hard to find them, and that's why we had Ronnie Rath, Louie, Mike, and all these guys that I mentioned uh, in our first conversation. Uh, that's why I used them. And yeah, we would help each other if somebody came up with something. Uh, and there were more than one copy, uh, uh, you know, that, that was available. Uh, we would uh, help uh, the other guys out. Well, did did you have a pact or some kind of an agreement that you weren't going to tell the dancers what the records were? Were you that secretive about them that everybody kind of held pretty close to their chest what these records were? No, yeah, I, the, the whole difference between what I did and other cities that didn't have dance clubs going on like we have here or exciting rhythm and blues, it was a matter of uh, picking the right stuff. I just wanted to know if you kept the titles and artists secret on the on these records. Yeah, that, 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 was, that was the thing that created the excitement and the buzz. If they knew whatever you were, if I gave out the information uh, on the radio or at the clubs to people, uh, 
they could find them possibly. Uh, there were half a dozen companies who were bootlegging the records. And see, the thing is, the mystery was the secret. Yes. That's what created the buzz all over in the schools and colleges and everywhere. Oh man, we're trying to. And that's why they taped the show. When I started that radio show, and it didn't include most of the great dance rock, uh, the phones would light up when I started, and the girl would keep coming down. She's the same thing. They're all saying, "Please, has Bob not to talk over the record next time? We're we're, we're tape recording it." Yeah. Oh, oh man, yeah. It, it was. It was. That's what created the mystery. Oh, love it. Yeah. Is what made everybody pack into the dance clubs? That's all the only place you can hear these records. Well, yeah. Yeah, and your radio show, uh, which is very hard to find any any kind of a recordings of those at this point in time, either people are keeping them secret <laughs> or something. But to listen to those, you've got such a great uh, radio voice and demeanor, and you're so excited on there. You really have that AM spark for all of the shows. Did you not ever think into go becoming a national? Uh, disc jockey or and really like you know taken over like so many did you really just want that whole world to develop in your own region i thought that the extent of my reach with radio and the dance culture was pittsburgh pennsylvania ah. if i had come along later if we had satellite radio it's indicating shows if i had come along a little later like casey Olson. Uh, the guy was on just for a couple hours on us once a week on Saturday. He played the hits. You could hear him, but he told a little story about each record or artist that was unique, and he made millions. He had his show was in what 40 cities. Wow! And he made millions. But uh, that's unfortunately, uh, I I hope you'll include this. But that's one reason why friends of mine begged me uh, while I'm still here. I'm in my age. Uh, I, I let them hear not only some of the rare stuff, but some of the records I was holding out for my own set of albums. I had, as you know, my own record company. But yeah. in the late, uh, all I didn't want it to play them. Yeah, uh, they were so important, but the most rare and awesome of all my records. And I held enough out, and as a matter of fact, I got uh, brought masters up so that persons and had remixes done by Joe Charles. Good Lord. Best engineer in the world. Oh. Uh, and the bottom line is, uh, uh, I waited too long. I smarted myself. And then the, uh, in the late 60s, Psychedelic, and even in Pittsburgh, where this unknown mystery, rare records were such a big deal. Yeah. Uh, obscure doo-wop. This was the center of the universe for obscure, unknown doo-wop that was driving people crazy. Right, because yeah. Because they couldn't figure out what it was. Mystery. Well, Bob, drive us crazy with another set of some incredible garage music, okay? Here we go. Won't you sing me some love, baby? Say that I pray. How can I love you when you're so far away? Oh, send me your kiss, baby. Send it, my dear, so I can hope it. Pretend you are here. Can you send me your kisses? I still feel that touch. I love you so badly. I still want you too much. My 
started off with the Huntsman. Uh, they were out of Long Beach, California. Send me some lovin' on Pam, P-A-M. That was about 63. And that was followed up by another record that's so unique. And, and, uh, oh, my God. <laughs> hard, hard times. I can't wait till Friday comes. Oh, yeah. And man, that's a great aunt. <laughs> yeah. Maryland in 66. Oh, my and, gosh. And The Passions. Again, yeah. by them. Okay, well, on The Passions, a uh, lively one. It's on uh, Pick uh, out of Texas in 1965. And if you listen to the words of that, well, all of them, they have uh, the lyrics. They have all the ingredients to bake the cake, or I didn't. <laughs> they did. So, but uh, that, that fellow and his girlfriend had quite a time. I yeah. Think, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, oh, uh, man. That's uh, great. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, uh, yeah, these, uh, some of these groups, you have to remember, too, that when I started in the 50s, and this word got out about these incredible records, and you couldn't hear any well, so that's what led to all the dance clubs. And, uh, uh, but bottom line is, uh, we started to open, you know, big clubs, taking over theaters and uh, nightclubs, Vegas style nightclubs and banquet hall, every place we could find that held a lot of people. Yeah. But uh, 
uh, bottom line is, um, what you have to remember is, uh, I was collecting those records from, uh, and you know the sources from our last, uh, the your show, our number 102 show. Yeah. Uh, uh, the Crashing the Party, that uh, I had some uh, incredible sources for records. That, sure. Uh, never made the chart and were, uh, were a mystery. But, right. Uh, so, but uh, bottom line is, if you don't mind me throwing this in, uh, I missed uh, my opportunity when the music changed, and instead of, but I had most of them were masters I bought or mint uh, copies of the record still, and uh, I was going to do five uh, albums, uh, mm -hmm. about a dozen on an album in those days, six or seven, so it was about 60 records, and uh, I, uh, I gave about 300 lists, uh, names, and uh, titles to. Uh, uh, Malcolm Rosenberg and, and Dave Levy, who handled business and uh, music business for me with the record company and Tommy James and that. And I said, when you get to 60, stop. But I want to buy all the masters possible to have the best quality album. These are the most amazing records. I've never risked playing them for sure that they do bootleg and then it's just another record once everybody has it. Right, and, right. And, and I smothered myself and the music changed almost overnight, but it went from, and even in Pittsburgh, where doo-wop and rear doo-wop was hotter than the national was. And just unbelievably strong here. Uh, uh, before you knew it, everybody was listening to Jimi Hendrix and Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Pink Floyd. And, uh, you know, uh, so <laughs> it took a big hit. But, oh, the point I was getting at was that I started collecting those doo-wop records, mostly for the club with some for radio, uh, in the 50s. And, uh, and then the big clubs when I started in 60. This garage music, you know, didn't really happen for me. I didn't discover it and really get excited until I heard something about 65, mid-60s. Yeah. It, it, it just, it was a trend like grunge and punk and all those other things. That yeah, yeah. But, so I didn't have those uh, to give out to the jocks. Uh, yeah. I had a few tough moments that I found on my own. But I didn't really start collecting those seriously until yeah, but you were the one who brought Tommy James uh, into prominence, into anything. And, uh, you know, that was, uh, was it 65 that you found him? Or what year was that, 66? 66, yeah. You know, we talked a little bit about that last time, and it wasn't enough for me. <laughs> you know, we wanted to talk about where you found the the uh, new Shondells, <laughs> and also oh, yeah. where what, what what kind of a venue did Tommy play at? What, what did you put him into with that first show uh, in Pittsburgh, and what was the reaction? You want to just go back to that because that really that's one of the key uh, garage 45s if you want to call it that that exists and uh, and that really uh, created a commotion. So tell us about that, please. Well, uh, uh, we did go over some details. I uh, I found the record uh, uh, from somebody that needed to sell uh, uh, his whole set to raise some funds. Uh, there were a few copies of the Hanky Panky. Well, when we sped it up and then played it in the clubs, it went ballistic. It went on radio to number one on all stations uh, first week. Uh, they uh, they bootlegged it here uh, 
Many times, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, uh, they did that to every record of mine, take a point, because they could sell 10, 20, 50,000 copies yeah. in, in tri-state area, and they would pay anybody. And it, instead of a buck a record, they were selling for five. So, <laughs> oh, you know, man. This is the reason I held out some for my own album. Yeah, sure. And, uh, so, but, uh, you know, and uh, bottom line is, um, uh, I, I want to go back to the question you asked. Oh, about the Sean Bell. Yeah. So uh, I, I wound up, Wigan told me in the Pittsburgh saying about that when he came in, it was on every station. He went from playing in a bar for a half a dozen people to, to a Mick Jagger experience and uh, was dumbfounded. I, they, his manager signed him over to me uh, and I took him to New York. I set up all the deals in New York to make his, uh, launch his career a publicity agent, booking agent, record company, and yeah. I got him a manager because I couldn't stay there with all I had going on. Right. But uh, bottom line is, that the, the, the question we left out when we did discuss that uh, last month on another show, I guess, uh, was uh, uh, the Shondells. Uh, they one one was killed. One went to Vietnam. The only Tommy was left, so yeah. he had to put a group together. The group he came in with on that first uh, week did a few of the clubs. Uh, got by with them, but uh, I'll, I'll tell you that story because everything yes, in the book that came out about that is all fantasy. It was secondhand from what the uh, roulette was feeding the Tommy Jones. Okay. Here, here's the real, uh, everything I told you on the other end, and this is the real deal of the Shondells. There were no Shondells then, just Tommy. So the biggest problem was, what do we do now? <laughs> uh, this record's breaking out, I'm going to take them to New York to make a deal, and I did, but uh, we needed a group. Uh, but I didn't just need any group. I needed a group knowing that this thing would explode nationally, like it did in Pittsburgh. Uh, I needed a group that was ready to play on the big world stages. I needed a group of professional uh, quality musicians that could go into the recording studio and do the follow-up single, which we did on the album, which I also did for them. And so uh, that presented a real challenge. Uh, he was in town, and there was a group, uh, Junior Leone and the Pharaohs. They were young kids, but they weren't good enough to do it, but they really wanted to be. So they went up, and while I was searching for uh, a band to be the Sean Bells, uh, there was a smaller club, maybe held 400, the smallest we had up in Brentwood, the Sugar Shack. And uh, so they were up there rehearsing, and maybe they were going to do the next weekend with Tommy because the first band wasn't cutting it well. So uh, they were good enough for that. Okay, I decided that. You know, I wasn't, didn't know all the bands in the area. I knew some of the problems. I called the top booking agents, everyone in the city, and there were maybe three major ones. And I said, I need a group, you know, that obviously could be uh, similar to what the Sean Bell group. Uh, I need a club group, whatever, uh, to uh, back up uh, uh, a new hit record and, and hit artist with some. And so uh, I told to uh, get back with me with uh, the best potential options in this whole tri-state area that might be, uh, maybe we could make a deal with. So 
I'm doing that, and in the meantime, <clears throat> I get a call from a fellow who came to my white elephant when he was young, uh, dropped out of school, didn't like it, he had a wealthy dad, uh, King Hartman. And, and Tom Hartman winds up telling his dad in the building of the club, he was out eastern, not in my area where I was operating, and didn't come in, but in Greensburg, Pennsylvania. Uh, he had his dad build him a club to play white elephant or Bob Mack, whatever, but... Uh, and it actually uh, was distant from where we were at, but he did well. It was called the Red Rooster. Mm -hmm. So I get a call from him. He said, Bob, this is Tom Hartman. I said, hey, Tom, how you doing? He said, Bob, listen, he said, I, I hope we're friends. He said, I've never come into your areas or anything like that. And, you know, I'm just out here at my place. And he said, but I uh, just heard you, you're the manager. You signed Tom, you're, you're the manager for uh, uh, the artist with Hank who had the uh, At that time, it was just Sean Bell. Okay. So uh, uh, I said, yes. And he said, well, Bob, he said, I want to book him for my clubs. I try to bring him in from time to time. Acts like you did at the White Elephant, you know, with uh, uh, Jim Berry and, and uh, the Five Sentins and all the groups that were in. And he said, uh, I, I really want I, I want to I want to book them. I'll book them right now. I'll pay whatever the price is. I said, well, Tom, I, listen, I'm, you know, uh, I'll have to call you back. Well, I'm not taking any dates now because we, there are no Sean Bells. There's only the lead singer. And I am currently uh, uh, in a an all-out blitz to find uh, a group. I have three agents. And they're setting up appointments so far. I have three uh, groups that they say are the best I'll ever find. He said, Bob, I got the answer for it. And I said, oh, okay, sure, yeah. And he said, no, no, Bob, listen. There's a group that plays out here in Greensburg that is, it's packed. They play at a place called the Thunderbird Lounge. It, you can't get in. These guys are all... Uh, uh, major music majors in college. Uh, they are so good and so tight. And, so, and they do hanky panky in their set. And I said, "Well, who? Well, give, give me the give me the name and where they're at. I'll I'll, I'll uh, we'll see if they're uh, we'll get, we'll talk to them." He says, "Well, they're called the Raconteurs." I said, "Well, Tom, that's one of the names I have on my list." He said, "Bob." These guys are like as good as any group I've had in that made any record. They're, they're the best you'll ever find. So I call up to the Sugar Shack. I get a hold of Junior. And he was disappointed because he was hoping I wouldn't find anybody and I'd have to use his group. Yeah. <laughs> so so I told him, I said, Junior, listen, you know I always do what I say. I'll take care of you. I need you to, uh, you know, whatever you were. So I did drop everything. And well, at least by this evening. I need you to go out round 30, way out to uh, Greensburg, and uh, there's, a, there's a group playing at a club out there called the Thunderbird Lounge, and I want you to take Tommy, at least you and Tommy, uh, go out. And he, he agreed. So uh, that's how Tommy met the Raccoon Tours. They wow. actually were on stage, and somehow they got word that he was Tommy Jan uh well, at that time, it was Thomas Jackson. I had just named him Thomas Jackson, but I still refer to him as that all the time by that name. Anyway, uh, 
to make a, I'm trying to get all the details in so you know. Love it. Love the, it. A story. But bottom line is, they find out he was in a crowd and they wound up talking to him and calling him up and he performed. To, and it, the, the, the roof came off the place. Okay. It was <laughs> wow. unbelievable. Uh, I mean, they already were a great, great act. So uh, I, the, to make a long story short, I got them to come in to the Carl Mass office the next day. And uh, and I brought new Tommy, obviously, was there too. And I ran by them what was going on, that we were taking them to New York. There's a lot of companies interested. This is going to be a monster. I mean, I've called some long shots, but I got a pretty good ear for music. And I see the reaction. So uh, basically, I want to know. I don't think I have to ask you about can you cut it in a studio and can you be music, music majors, you know, and I've heard some incredible reports about you. I'm surprised, well, you're not in Pittsburgh, so I didn't ever hear you, but would you want to be the new Shondells? There are no former Shondells And they were all excited, but they were under a contract to another, uh, to one of the Pittsburgh agents here. Uh, they said, uh, but he happened to be in the same building, the Carlton House, where my offices and record company were. So they wind up time they come back a little later, and the guy was honorable enough. Uh, I'm sure he made good money. He was honorable enough to see that they had a great opportunity here and uh, to really get into the big time, where they deserved to be that were that good. And so uh, he gave them a release. And uh, uh, so bottom line is, uh, those uh, five guys became the uh, rock countries became the Shondells. And of course, uh, you're aware from our past conversations, I told Tommy that, you know, you're you're the important part here. You're the front man, you're the singer, you're the show. And so, uh, 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 and I said, you're going to be a legend. And I was rattling off some names of other legends, you know, that still today people talk about. And I, uh, one of them was Jesse James. I said, you know what? That is a nice ring to it. What if you were, well, you can't be Jesse. What about Tommy? How about Tommy James? Oh, man. And Deshaun Dell. Oh, wow. And everybody thought, wow, that's perfect. And so, you know, things just come to you. Like I say, I, I always thought this is the universe working through me. It's not my own. Oh, <laughs> my God. But I went, how many times have you gone to sleep with a problem that you never and you wake up and you got the answer? Well, hey, you were <laughs> sleeping. <laughs> so I think there's more to this life than we're connected to the creator and all that. So that's another issue. But anyway, I've had ideas that come to me. And when I don't try to find, you know, change it or, or dismiss it, and just follow what by instincts what the, the to me the creative forces are telling uh it worked anyway yeah. i'm getting on the subject but that's how uh the sean bells uh the new sean amazing came into play so basically my i was going to tell you that at some point and uh that's kind of the story of how we found the new sean bells in 24 hours oh wow that's an incredible tale thank you so much for sharing that with us Incredible. Now we're going to be going into another set of super mega rarities. And uh, this whole thing with the with what they now call garage, you didn't call it garage back then, did you? Uh, the music was a little different than the uh, the love songs and, and, and the, the, funk, the rhythm and blues to some extent. It was a more driving, you know, heavy beat. Yeah, kind of nasty, uh, but, yeah. 
but but that's what caught me and then i started listening to the lyrics because to me the you know uh, the soundtrack and the melody and all that so and the harmonies of, but but it has to have uh it has to make you all of a sudden your foot starts tapping when you're mm -hmm. listening or you're jumping around in the room yeah it has to do that to me i'm not easy to please when it comes to music and if you listen to my stuff maybe you'll understand yeah but, yep um, yep but anyway uh You know, we got another set here, and uh, this uh, this uh, starts off with one that really kicks butt. I won't use the other word, and uh, uh, I hopefully uh, uh, this will get people's interest. Oh yeah. Okay, so let's go one more time. Go back to the love I had before. 
said started off with Jay Barrett. It's titled Shrink an Old Gal. <laughs> uh, Tell us about it. I don't recall where that one came from. Uh, the next one, uh, Kurt Block and the Vibrations, not the rhythm and blues vibrations, called titled She's My Kind. It's on Metra. And they were from Arthur, Texas. Good God. Uh, that got sent by someone connected with the group. Uh, that was about 65. Holy and mackerel. It uh, winds up with a, uh, a real heavy, another heavy beat record, a little easier tempo. Uh, the Wave 4. Oh, yeah. Hard Life, and it's on Ram Pro. So I just <laughs> say we're professionals at ramming, but it's Ram Pro. <laughs> Uh, that was, they were from Janesville, Wisconsin. That was about 66. 
good lord. I, I just can't imagine people hearing these on the dance floor back then, you know, mixed in with like soul records, which was also another thing that you were playing, right? Well, the, the funny thing is, I never, uh, you know, most people know about, uh, because of the radio shows, they know, uh, the, and they know about the dance clubs, and they know about the rhythm and blues. Uh, they found out, as we started in the mid-60s, to mix in some of this incredible uh, garage music. But, no, I never really, uh, 65 years, I've done over 5,000 uh, radio shows and, and dance clubs. Oh, and, Lord. And events in that time, and I finally did my last one for the Pittsburgh Collectors last December. Some of my biggest clubs were in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Some of them were adult clubs, and some were young adult clubs. Like no kidding. And uh, that's where uh, I actually had another collection that, again, it's all part of the big club, but it was separate. And I don't know what you'd call it, because frankly, I never played psychedelic in the 70s. I never. Uh, 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 played rap and I never played disco. So, <laughs> God bless you, Bob Mack. I'm so delighted that you uh, discovered what happened here and you've been fascinated because what other city had dance clubs like this all over? None. I traveled and I didn't. I went to some record hops that DJs had, but uh, no city had uh, uh, a station featuring mostly obscure and unknown records. And they were all playing the hits. That's been my mission, to take some of these records by, it used to be just radio and dance clubs, but now with people like you and with the internet, uh, the whole country, the whole world can hear. And that's the reason in my 80s, I'm still delighted to share. My little brother got me started. One time when I was in college, I was thinking about, oh boy, I would maybe open a hot rod shop near, uh, near uh, the, uh, uh, Chevy Dior out here, and he, he, he used to go, he was younger, he went to the dances, the early ones I started, at little halls and schools, and everything, and every time I brought that up, he'd look at me and say, Bob, what about the music? You should be with me when I'm out there in these crowds, and the kids go nuts for this stuff, you know? Uh, and it turned out that when I listened to him, and also a gal that, uh, uh, the uh, Mrs. Gardner that I told you about last time, who said, Bob, you got to open up some big clubs up here in Pittsburgh. And she actually encouraged me. And uh, uh, those were the things that uh, I actually heard when they spoke. And, and uh, it turned into being uh, my career, my hobby, my music became my career. But okay, let's get to the uh, WZUM. That, that's, uh, I did tell you that. Uh, I wanted to spread the word. I thought my own was just Pittsburgh, not the whole country, like with you and with the internet now. But bottom line is, uh, I realized that there were two thirds or more of the population were too old to go to my young adult clubs, or uh, they were trying to or too young. And uh, there was a new radio station, WZUM. I went home, made up a tape of some of my, uh, some of the really strong stuff, left it at the radio station. Uh, I told Jim Sahulis, you know, he made those Pittsburgh Steelers songs, by the way. Oh, wow. <laughs> band, yeah. But uh, uh, I left it with the station and I said, Jim, I said, uh, I didn't want to insult him, but he was, had no listeners, no sponsors, no ratings, no nothing. And this is the reason I went there. I thought maybe I told him this, the kids are going crazy for this music. 
He said, what music? I said, well, I made up a half-hour tape for you. Let me just leave it. Here's my card. If you think that this would do with the radio audience, what I'm, I've already explained to you is happening at our dance clubs. I said, uh, uh, you know, let me know what you think. When I got home later that day, my phone was ringing. There was no answering machine. <laughs> yeah. And so I opened up, I go in, and still ringing. I picked up, said, hello, this is Bob. The voice said, Bob Mack. I said, yes. This is Jim Sahulis from WZUM. <laughs> oh, Jim. Okay, well, uh, I thought maybe I left something behind. He said, Bob, I had a couple of the worker distributor promotion men here. And I asked, and I asked a couple of my DJs to stay and go to work in the office, and we all just listened to this tape. I said, okay. He said, Bob, no one has a clue what this is, but everyone is going out of their freaking minds. <laughs> Great. I will give you prime time. Can you start tomorrow? I'll give you prime time, like four to eight or whatever. I said, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, so I showed up, and the first record was Firewater, Crazy Instrumental. Oh, my God. Uh, it wasn't long that station went from others, didn't even have a rating, to the top-rated station that was playing music yeah. in Pittsburgh. Uh, I couldn't believe it. They couldn't believe it. And, but after a couple of years, I just couldn't. Uh, I, I had so much going on with concerts and nightclubs and and at the record shop and managing artists and i i couldn't do that seven days a week right three hours on the air an hour going and an hour returning that's my time i just couldn't do it and when i told them i said listen jim it's been a couple of years it's been great i said but i i have if i'm out of town so i'm starting to uh, out of uh, town uh, clubs that I'm, I'm i have groups that i that, that i have to or, or i just can't do this anymore yeah. He said, I know, I know you're jerking me around. I know you're kidding me. You, you know, you don't quit when you're on top. He said, we, there's this Red Hot Chambers is, is planning the owner of the station. He has a bunch of stations out of the gym. He's planning and throwing a big party up here to celebrate. You got ratings. We got sponsors now. You're making money. It was always a write-off, you know. He, he said, uh, I said, Jim, listen to me. March will be, I was it three years or two years, whatever it was. I said, uh, uh, have somebody ready, I can't do it. He was like, he still thought that I was, uh, I, I don't know what he thought, but bottom line is uh, uh, I, I had to leave the show. And at that time, uh, Mike was still uh, working uh, for me at my place. And, uh, You're meaning uh, Mad Mike Metrovic? Yes. Yeah, so, he was working at you, for you at Tri-State, right? Yeah, well, but what happened afterward, I didn't think about what replacing me. I just said, have one of his jocks and be ready to throw in something like that. Yeah, but, but he actually didn't believe it, but he had somebody on standby. So Al Jew, that was a, a black guy, did a really a good show before my uh, uh, Max Wax Museum, I call it. Wow. On the way to the station the first day, I didn't have a name, and I didn't like to put my name on things on my clubs. It was about the music. But bottom line is, um, I said, well, they call this these records stacks of wax. Yeah. And they're, mine are all 
older that never made it and they're incredible but nobody knows and like going into a museum yeah so i said i'll tell you what let me how about max wax museum i did that just before i walked into the station oh <laughs> my goodness it. it's just like i was you know reading reading the lines that were written for me so oh. anyway uh, i'm going to a lot that i didn't know we'd get into today but bottom line is uh uh, that's the, oh, they found a kid named Johnny Walker to fill in for me. And, you know, it's all a matter of record. I don't make this stuff up, but that station that was the hottest thing in town, it went from a, others, not even a rating, to an eight. Wow. Uh, stations, that's percentage of the population, I think, are the uh, the uh, radio magazines. Uh, it's about as hot as you can get. And big, we had the biggest audience. Uh, and incredibly, in a few months, the station crashed. It no longer has numbers. It didn't have sponsors. I wasn't paying much attention, but uh, so then uh, National Record Mart uh, that my tri-state record shop competed with, we had their oldest business journal. Uh, so uh, I was just doing it to move records that came to me and I didn't want to keep myself. That was the reason for the store and we sold some other stuff. But he thought I was out to get him, uh, Shapiro, uh, Shapiro got on the store. Uh, so he got word to his employees that Max never there anymore. He has uh, this uh, one of his new DJs, Mike Metro, they call him Mad Mike, working. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, I, I think, I frankly, uh, from what I understand, Mac doesn't even care about that store. And, I'll bet you can make them a deal to come over. So bottom line is, uh, uh, they called Mike over and he called uh, Jim Sahulison from my old radio station that had crashed. And they, uh, their rec all these record sales were hurting in their store and uh, the radio station was hurting. So he got uh, Jim Sahulison with the radio into his office at National Record Mark uh, main office downtown. And they called Mike in. And uh, I think, as I understood it, uh, Michael was kind of in the waiting room. So he has Jim Sahulison. He said, Jim, my record business is hurting. Your station is hurting. And uh, uh, you're not going to get Mac back on the air. No. So he said, well, I'm making a move. And it's going to put me back on the map and put me back on the map. He said, I'm going to make a deal to get the guy that he relies on to run that store. And he is also uh, a serious partner that comes up with good stuff. Uh, I'm going to, I come up with a plan to uh, put you back on that, put me on the back of my, and get rid of his tri-state. He, he had told me, he thought I was out to get him. I had, didn't even care about him. I was just trying to move records right. that uh, they couldn't get anywhere else the uh, buyers so uh, bottom line is he said well <laughs> he, he, he told Shapiro uh, Jim Sahulison he said I don't know how, how you could possibly do that my friend so <laughs> you, you got to explain yourself he opens the door and he walks in that Mike yeah he said this guy has been beefing up his collection he worked at my store he's had you know he know he, we're going to buy some time. I'm going to give him a job over here for more than he makes over there. 
and I'm going to give him a deal. And he had already talked to Mike, so he, Mike was there listening. But he said, I'm going to give him a deal where he can make extra money. He'll do what Mac used to do. He'll play some records, create a demand, and then, you know, and then they sell the record and make a bundle. He said, so he will take some of his records, play them, create a demand, and we'll play Mad Mike albums. And uh, he'll share in those profits. I give him a job. I'm guaranteeing him a job here for life. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, I'm going to buy time on your radio station. The same slot Mac used to have. Okay, and we're going to put Mike on the air. So that's how that happened. Wow! And uh, and when uh, when when Mike did his albums, at, at first it was a bonanza, but you know that was getting later into the sixties. And Dua uh, was about to get a hatchet job done on it by the new uh, uh, you know, Chicago and Beatles and all the new and psychedelics. Uh, but uh, it worked for a while, but then. Uh, the station ratings went down. They stopped selling albums. And this guy, I did eventually, I closed Tri-State. I, Mike came over to see me. We were, we were like really pretty close. I did a lot for him. He did a lot to help me playing with the dances. And uh, he came to see me uh, after that meeting. And uh, it, was, it was closing time to do He said, he said, Bob, he looked like his that's Grindle died or something. And he, uh, he said, I gotta talk to you. I said, so he tells me the story. And he said, Bob, Shapiro and, and, and the, the radio station, uh, so they, they called me over and, and they made me an offer. They want me to do something. And I said, well, for what? He said, well, they're willing to buy time and put me on the radio. They're willing to want me to give me a job over there. They're, they're, they have a plan to put some albums out, whatever. I get known. That's one thing I never did. That, uh, Porky, I have kept everything a secret, so I never put albums out. But anyway, uh, and I said, well, Mike, I said, you know, I did. I said, Mike, I need to start like I need a hole in the head. So, you know, uh, uh, when a door opens for me, I, you know, what did I, what would I do? I'd go through it. You know what I mean? What's what's out there? Right. What do you have to lose? The game of life card. It was a free admission. <laughs> you know. So he said, but Bob, that's not the whole story. They would want me not only to leave here, but I couldn't play for you. They don't like you. They think you're out to get them. Character, but yeah. Oh. Nothing to do with it. He said, I would have to give up Wow what he said, Bob, I'm in heaven. What about that? So anyway, I it, it, I won't tell you the whole story, but bottom line is, uh, I said, Mike, I don't need this store. And look, they're giving you a great opportunity. If it were me, you know what I would do? I I always walk through the door when the door when it opened, and I'd say, well, you have nothing to lose, and maybe a lot to gain. He said, but that's not the whole story. They want me to give up some of my records, like stuff in the unit to Bruce, that he kept the mystery just like I did. Yeah. No one knew. He, in fact, when he played his records, he put a disc on top so people come up, they couldn't see it. <laughs> and I did the same thing. I never talked yeah. uh, over I never let anybody know. Anyway, bottom line is, um, uh, he said, I have to leave your dances. I, I will leave the store. He said, that's like, I'm in heaven while I'm not playing. Just like you, when you, I saw you playing the first time I went into your club. Uh, 
I said, well, uh, you know, and he said, you know, every time I give up one of my records, just like you said once before, it's like losing one of your children when they when they boot like that, and all of a sudden, everybody has it. And, you know, have the only one. Right. Uh, so, so bottom line is, uh, he took their deal. I won't tell you the rest of the story, but unfortunately, uh, when the album stopped, you know, weren't selling and do what was taking a dive. That guaranteed radio show was canceled. Yeah. Life. The guaranteed job for life was canceled. They put him on the street. Oh. And he lost his one dance. You know, they wouldn't let him play my dance. So Westview Dance Land uh, in the North Hills made him an offer. They ran dances since the 1800s, I think. It's yeah. the amusement park of all of them. So, uh, and... Uh, uh, they, you know, when uh, when you, the crowds run with that. Anyway, bottom line is that I'm going, if I had known this, I would have reached out to him. But he actually was so depressed, he left Pittsburgh and went down. And he was in smart, he was an engineer, as a rave studio engineer. Yeah. And uh, actually taught radio and that. So bottom line is he goes down to uh, Virginia and uh, that that kind of ended the WZUM explosion and uh, the Tracy Records, sorry, and everything. Wow. Uh, I'm getting into a lot of stuff here that I, I didn't really uh, well, know if you'd be interested in, but you, you, you've made trips here a lot. You've been fascinated with this town and what happened here with our music. Is, uh, yeah. That's the reason I'm talking with you, because I know you're from real sweetheart, and uh, you love the music like I do. And I can't uh, spread the word anymore, and you can't. So I hope some of your listeners will uh, Google Bob Mac Pittsburgh uh, doo-wop and take a listen to what these guys talked me into uh, uh, putting on there. But anyway, let's let's get back to uh, the uh, get back. stuff today. Yeah. And uh, where did we leave off? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, this has been a great interview. It really has. And having you on as a, as a guest has been amazing again and i hope that you come back real soon i think we have a lot of ground to cover i want to hear some more of these great records that you made popular in the pittsburgh area and that we're so influenced by but there are some records out there that people may not be aware of that you actually produced can you play us some of those uh, yeah, yeah, actually, uh, i i was prepared for this because uh, last time when you were talking about you know doing a uh uh, the uh, a garage thing. You didn't know that I actually had has the dance club records, the radio records, and uh, that I had some personal stuff, and even had started to play some garage. Also, some uh, so we won't get into that. But that came in the seventies uh, and eighties, and uh, we had packed dance floors and places like the uh, uh, big clubs. Some of big Pittsburgh's biggest clubs, the uh, Zodiac. East this uh, frontier in St. Clair, you couldn't get in the place. And the little theater we converted in uh, Beaver Valley Infinity. But uh, let's let's get to what's important to your listeners, and that's uh, here and uh, so. In addition to these sets, uh, yeah, I did uh, put together a couple of the records that uh, I produced, uh, uh, Roadmap and Viscount Records. And uh, why don't we do this? Uh, Actually, I have uh, one set of them. I, I grabbed four of these records that uh, uh, got rave reviews. They didn't all make it big, but only one in a thousand records. Oh, so great. Catchy little thing that, that takes it to the top. But uh, uh, I could either 
stop after each one of these four records or wait till they're done and tell you but each one of them is is a unique story right uh, okay well why don't we go through them one at a time then and you can tell us about each one of them because i think they might be a little bit different and there might be a tale behind each one well, of them. Yeah, if we go back, they might not know which one I'm talking about. Right. Let, 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 let's dive in. Yeah, let's, let's dive in. The records that, uh, and again, they're, you're introducing stuff like I always did that are pretty obscure because uh, oh, yeah. only a couple got uh, uh, some action on the radio. But anyway, okay, this first one is by a group we renamed, uh, it was a South group we renamed, The Star Glows. The Star Glows, uh, history is is incredible. I brought a lot of big name rhythm and blues groups in, and I wanted to bring back the Mingos that had uh, uh, "Lovers Never Say Goodbye" and so many of the great hits and a unique sound. It was one of many groups that uh, I had many at the White Elephant and at some of the other clubs over the years. So uh, it turns out that the Flamingos. Uh, had just broken up and I, I uh, was told that uh, the two guys that came into the group mid, you know at some point and created that unique uh, sound like uh, uh, nothing like it in the history of music uh, but Nate Nelson and Terry Johnson had left uh, uh, the they would have gone in on end records and uh, uh, they uh, could not use the name Flamingos. It was owned by the owner of uh, End Records, George Gouldner. Right. So, but they did the appearance. We went out to the restaurant as I, we always did after the shows. Uh, they found out about our record company and heard some of the stuff. And so, the two guys that left were really the heart and soul of the Flamingos. Nate Nelson and Terry Johnson were the lead singers. Anybody can do backup, well, not anybody, but, you know. Uh, and they wrote, they wrote the songs. Uh. So, uh, so I booked them and I advertised them as uh, Nate and Terry, the former uh, lead singers uh, of the Flamingos. Uh, because they couldn't call themselves the Flamingos. Uh, George Gore owned the right to the name. So, but we, we finally put a deal together. I want to try to make you sure. We finally put a deal together. Uh, Nate and Terry said they had just, they had written a tune some time back that they left Gordo because they weren't, well, like a lot of groups in those days, weren't getting paid uh, for their writing or their uh, record sales. So bottom line is they made the appearance. We get together afterward. They saw what I was doing, and they saw my, some of the stuff I produced. They said, Bob, we have a record that we wrote uh, as like a follow-up, even better, in our opinion, and most people have heard it, than Lovers Never Say Goodbye. And you've got a record company, you know, would you be interested in putting this out? So they said, and it was incredible. So we recorded... Uh, Let's be lovers. Uh, and it was so incredible. And I had just split parted ways with Joe Rock. That's another story, but it was a reason my records weren't getting played. So uh, I was the company at that point. Uh, that was just happening, actually. 
Uh, so uh, I, I uh, uh, got my attorney to make up an agreement. We gave him a new name. Couldn't call him as Flamingos or former Flamingos on the record. So we, we, I gave him the name Star, uh, Star Gloves. And uh, Joe had been the guy that was supposed to promote the records and that's the reason we parted ways. It wasn't happening. Uh, I decided I, the best thing that I could do with this, and it was an incredible record, and everyone that heard it, uh, that's not just my opinion. So I leased it to Atco. That was the first dealings I had, by the way, with Atlantic Atco Records. Well, how did you yeah. do that? How does a deal? How do you make a deal with Atco at that time, 1963? Well, I, I wanted it to be on a major label. And I wasn't, uh, didn't have a new manager promotion guy. It was my company, one Joe. So, uh, when well, I let him go. So, bottom line is, I uh, thought I'd better give this to a major. And I, uh, so Jerry Greenberg and Jerry Wexler, I guess, were just, uh, I think they were both there at that time. Mm-hmm. So, a long time ago. <laughs> but, yeah. bottom line is, they heard it and they said, wow. So, they put, they agreed right away to put it out. As crowded as their, uh, artist roster was and in those days they, stations would only pay two records by a company they had 30 or more major artists but uh, what happened was when the dj copies came out and they went to the uh the billboard and the magazines and and the distributors they were getting rave reviews uh they terry thought it was their best effort Next thing that happens, <laughs> I've had a couple of these things happen. George Goldner goes to, he was, uh, you know, Mussolini distributed his records and he was part of the gang, part of the mob in New York. Uh, so bottom line is, uh, uh, he goes to uh, Wexler and Greenberg at Atlantic Echo and he told them, that I own the name Flamingos. This record, as soon as he got a copy, he ran over there. And I don't know what the conversation was, but by the time he was done, he had convinced him, whether it was legally made sense or not. He claimed that they said, well, this is not, this is the, you've parted ways with the Flamingos. Uh, they're under another name. They have the right to make a record and uh, be out on uh, uh, Romac or you know, the owner of Romac, Romac has given it to us to put out on Atco, and it's, it's already in the works. Uh, he he somehow uh, hit them, uh, you know, that was a heavy group in, in New York, uh, convinced them that that sound was so much like the flamingos that he owned, and he felt he owned the sound, I guess, and not the artist, but he said, that's an infringement on on my oh, my no. sound, my oh. rights, and I will sue the hell out of you if you put that out. Oh, and boy. you might have told them some things a little stronger than that, being Bob connected. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. So the next thing that happens is they pulled the record, and I will never know oh. if that would have been the Flamingo's biggest hit or not. Oh, it's okay. Let's listen. Let's go. Let's be lovers Instead of just friends For I have loved you Since heaven 
Glows incredible, Bob Mack. What do we got next? Okay, this next record is a group that was from Pittsburgh. They were called the Igniters, and in the mid '60s, they were. Uh, I didn't use local bands myself, but in the club scene, they were just lighting it up. They had a uh, a really uh, great lead singer with a unique voice named uh, Frank Zuri, and they had. Uh, <laughs> a great musician, the organ player, uh, Jeff Bobula. Uh, I, 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 all I can tell you about Jeff was that he he was a show in his, on his own. I mean, uh, Frank the singer was out front, but uh, let's put it this way: if you put uh, Jeff on one side of the stage. And you had Jerry Lee Lewis, Little Richard, and Billy Preston playing the pianos and organs on the other side. Everybody would be watching Jeff Bobula. <laughs> he was all over, you know, standing on the thing, playing, going nuts, oh, uh, wow. his antics, and and he was such a talented musician. Okay. So yeah. anyway, we got to, they they uh, knew about uh, what I had done with a lot of records that exploded here in this market and the, the Tommy James thing and all that. And, and so, uh, to make a long story short, we get together. Uh, I uh, they didn't have a record, and I did not write at that time very much, a little. So uh, we did a copy of a uh, a record that I guess it was a Phil Spector baby. I love you. Yep, yep. This is so full on girl. Anyway, uh, they did kind of a garage. Uh, uh, version of this and we went to philly sigma sound and that was joe tarsia who was an incredible and eventually he had a place in new york uh a second studio that did uh oh elton john and billy Joel and, and uh, wow. uh yeah uh, you know uh, and in philly he had done all the gamble off uh, chumpy checker and dior lines and all those records and when he started in philly and and patty obell and, and all that uh gamble hop soul records anyway uh we did the uh, the record, and uh, they they said, Bob, you know, you got some strength in New York. Uh, and again, I wanted to have someone else who was set up a big company to handle this. 
So uh, they said, you know, uh, get us on Atlantic Records. I mean, they were kids, and they had. And I said, and I explained to them that they had over 30 major artists that were fighting because the records, the radio stations would only play no more than two artists by any company. That's right. And they weren't even getting their establishment. I said, listen. Atco, you'll never get played. They've got big names that are demanding to be the first uh, to to be sent out to the stations. Yeah. I said, you know, I said maybe Atco, and I I, I do know these people. I've had dealings with them, but uh, but they said, oh, Bob, you can do it. They say you can do it. Well, <laughs> Dick Clark could not have gotten a record on Atlantic. Yeah. In 1968. Okay? Yeah. Oh man. I took it up and I met with uh, Greenberg and Wexler, and, and they said, "Well, this was in '68." They said, "Well, we missed the hanky panky. We had to turn it down and, and wound up with Mush." <laughs> we were sick about that. You know, we're, we're, we'll, we'll find we'll find a way. We'll go with this. They yeah. took the record. And he and they didn't. They were gonna go on Atco, and then Tommy and them said, "Oh, we always thought you were gonna push on Atlantic." I called him back. They gave us Atlantic Records. <laughs> I don't know how I pulled that off, but uh, bottom line is, I I told them I said, "Listen, you're you're on what the, the biggest independent label in the world. You got the best team behind, but you know what? They got artists that are gonna walk on them if, if they play your record before they say, oh, man, it'll work out.' Anyway." It didn't work. <laughs> oh. So uh, uh, that's uh, that's pretty much the story. The record is "Baby I Love You" by Jimmy Mack and the Music Factory. Jimmy Mack and the Music Factory, "Baby I Love You," that came out on Atlantic in '68, but they, the promotion man never got it to radio stations. But bottom line is, uh, uh, well, oh, the comment that uh, that they made when I took the record to them was that, uh, you know what, I. Uh, uh, this kid Frankie sounds like he's got quite a unique voice. Well, who's Frankie compared to Jimmy Mack? Who's Jimmy Mack and who's Frankie? Oh, oh I, I gave him that name. It was like Motown. Everybody was... Oh, so, so uh, Jimmy Mack was Frankie. Okay. So the Igniters, I'm sorry, became uh, Jimmy Mack and the Music Factory. So you renamed Tommy James and you renamed, you renamed Frankie too. No, this was Frankie. And so the comment that they made, this was just after they had had to pass because it must be on on Hanky Panky and yeah. Tommy. So they took uh, Frank Zuri, the Jimmy Mack and the Music Factory. Yeah. And so the comment that they made, and I told Frankie this uh, just recently, and he was just about in tears, but uh, I told him that Frank, when I did the deal with them, uh, they listened and they said, you know what? This Frankie kid's got quite a voice. They said, if the, you get, if the right song comes along, Frankie could be your next Tommy James. Oh, wow. Okay. Unfortunately, they never, they never got your time.
All right, what else you got there? Okay, this was a Pittsburgh artist, uh, a kid that if you looked in the dictionary under blue-eyed soul, his picture would be there. <laughs> white kid that sounded like a black kid. It was Larry Bryan. Oh. And uh, when he came in, everybody was knocked out. Uh, Joe was still there. That was in 62, uh, just before his record and the uh, Skyliners uh, record that I also have for, uh, uh, was uh, released. Anyway. When I brought him down, and uh, Johnny Jack had written some tunes uh, for the Skyliners, Comes Love, and for uh, the Enchantments, Lonely Heart, which was great. But and he, but anyway, uh, Joe was regretting. He made a comment, boy, I wish I had, for this kid, another since. Well, that's what he always called Since I Don't Have You, their biggest record, their first yeah. record. And he said, but... I don't know if you could ever duplicate that. I said, well, I'll tell you what, let's try. It happened that uh, 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 Wally Lester and, uh, and uh, uh, oh God, uh, Wally Lester and Jackie Taylor, now two of the members of the Sky Honor were there. Okay. Uh, I said, I so I said, uh, that's a story like some of my ballads. They're not love found and embrace me uh, records. They're love lost. Okay. Uh, some someone that's torn apart because of a love that they lost. Sure, sure. I said, how how about how about somebody? How about a similar story? To make a long story short, I'll try again. Uh, I sat down and I threw some ideas at him, and so. When the record came out, instead of my name being on his writer, it was Joe Locke, Wally Lester, Jackie Taylor, and Bob Mack. Uh. <laughs> that's fine. It was it was kind of a group thing. We worked on fine-tuned it together. Uh, by the way, uh, Jimmy Beaumont was a great lead singer, one of the greatest singers, I think, of all time. Oh, yeah. Had. But, uh, but the, the musical talent in that group, the guitar player, Jackie Taylor, he was always kid. Wow. And uh, anyway, so anyway, all four names were on it for the writing credits. Okay. But, but showcasing uh, the talent in uh, out of Pittsburgh, you know, not just discovering records from out of the town, but your town had an incredible sound. So Larry Bryan on Viscount, what was okay, the Viscount so label? Larry Bryan was on uh, Viscount, the name of the tune was on the outside, as in on the outside looking in after his love was lost. Okay. On the outside was a title on my label, Viscount, 1962. Well, wait a minute. On your label, Viscount? Yes. Ro Romack Viscount. Uh, I sent Ro Romack up to do the rhythm numbers, like the Lonely Heart, and the Top 40 and Skyliner stuff was uh, on Viscount. So this was another one of my records that I did oh. uh, with Larry Bryan on Viscount. Yeah.
How many records were on Viscount? Do you recall? Uh, not not that many, because after Jill, I did a few things myself, and I did the Tommy James stuff later, some of the early ones. Okay. But, uh, I never thought I was a producer, although we had some good luck. Wow. But, uh, I usually gave to other people to uh, to produce for me or other labels to market. Okay. But uh, so uh, uh, that's Stoneberry Brian on the outside. Uh, the next one I have, if you're ready for another one. Sure. This is the the last one of the batch. This was uh, the reason that I did the company when Joe came to me. He wasn't after the first couple records. He couldn't. Uh, they weren't able. They couldn't come up with another hit. And so uh, we had the original group together, except for the gal that, that passed away. Bottom line is, uh, this was uh, I was told was the biggest session over 20 musicians ever done. For a doo-wop record, I have no way to know if that was true. It certainly was true for our, for Pittsburgh. Wow! And uh, yeah, I broke the bank with this thing. I mean, it was unbelievable. But uh, uh, that's the Skyliners and uh, a record that uh, the same writer that did Lonely Heart for me, and I he was a talented Johnny Jack. Fantastic. Did, uh, the the comes love. And that was on uh, the Viscount. Came out in '62. Okay, let's wrap up the show with that. Here comes the Skyliners. Love through wind 
Well, the time has gone really fast. I have a million more questions for you, Bob, but we're just going to have to have you back again and again to fill in all the details with these great records and the backing stories, which are so incredible. Thank you so much for coming on, Crashing the Party. What about some closing words from Bob Mack? Well, my mission in life, sweetheart, has been uh, kind of like, uh, what's her name? Oh, yeah, Miriam Lena. And, uh, <laughs> I've, 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 my life has been devoted. Uh, when I saw how much response I got to my rare music that they had, my life has been devoted to uh, taking records that were incredible, but had been overlooked, had never seen the light of day. And for, and get them to as many people as possible by all means possible. Mm-hmm. I was limited by just being without having satellite radio to just Pittsburgh. We did it through clubs. We did it through uh, the radio show uh, and producing records. But uh, I'm so grateful to you uh, to since you have a an audience that covers the whole country, maybe the world. I don't know, but uh, uh, I just hope that. Uh, well, my mission was to share, like my brother told me when he was a kid. I lost him young. Oh, uh, sorry. And, uh, my mission was to share this incredible music that I had found that no one knew uh, with as many people as possible. And you're helping to keep that mission alive. Oh, thank you so much. And it means a lot to be able to bring your name back into the equation because you really did so much for music, not just out of your area, but now worldwide. People recognize these connections when you talk about doo-wop and 60s music and rhythm and blues. It just all becomes this incredible, incredible vault of information and music. Thank you so much, Bob Mack. We'll see you again very hope, soon. I hope that you. I just hope that your listeners uh, get. Uh, they obviously are true music lovers. That they really uh, appreciate uh, listening to this music and uh, and hopefully enjoy uh, knowing why and how it all happened and knowing the story. So, listen, you take care. Thank you kindly, and uh, I hope your audience enjoys every minute. Thanks so much, Bob. Talk to you soon. I guess. <laughs> Bye. Okay, here we go. Counting backwards from the top. Records produced by Bob Mack. Yeah, initially for Romack and ending up on other labels. Check this out. As he described, the star glows, let's be lovers, right to the top of the charts here forevermore. Yeah, on Atco 1963. Followed that up with Jimmy Mack and the Music Factory. Baby, I love you. Great version. Whoa. Also on Atlantic some five years later, 1968. Back to Larry Bryan on the outside on Viscount 62, Bob's label, and followed that up with our last tune of the evening, The Skyliners, Comes Love on Viscount again. We want to thank Bob for this great session. (laughs) Another couple of hours. We could do so many more couple of hours with him, and we shall. Thank you very much, Bob Matt. Hope you dug the show. Good night. The body.
sauce with the hot sauce, baby, coming to you from the top of the dial, Big Zoom Radio. This is the Groove Hoove, Jive Hive, later hitter for all the gator haters bopping and slapping on the hardwood, baby. We're going to put down some sounds tonight. It's the Max Wax Museum, and these are the Mac Monsters. Special request for Dirty Martha from Punxsutawney. The band Lons and I like it, and of course we all know Dirty Martha likes it. She's up there messing around with the groundhogs and Punxy, and uh, in this day of the pill, I guess anything goes. We have another one coming up. This will cream your craniums. This will crush your cookies, possibly. It depends on whether you're standing up or sitting down. This is a special request going out for... Aunt Jemima, Betty Crocker, Desi Arnaz, and the Ayatollah, and it's called Karaoke. See, have you seen the Karaoke?
Wax Museum here on 1320 WKTQ, the Bob Max segment of Don Bombard's fantastic oldie show in Pittsburgh. And, Don, we were taking some calls on the phone earlier. We had some uh, married couples, uh, quite a few people, asking about the possibility of... Uh, a White Elephant, Lebanon Lodge, Bethel Park Arena, Wildwood Reunion. And uh, I'm going to give you, uh, because there's so much interest in this, uh, there's a lot of people between 25 and 40, I guess, out there that are listening that uh, maybe are out nightclubbing now on weekends. So I'm going to give you a scoop, Don, for your show right here. We have a new club uh, coming up. We're already operating one in the Beaver Valley called Infinity. And Pittsburgh's been ready for some time for a good after-hours club. There's one coming in a couple months, and this is the first mention uh, that there's been on any of the media. It's going to be called Frontier, and I'll tell you what, after what I've seen here tonight, with the phones lit up constantly and the people that are really into the old rhythm and blues, the tough sounds, I would like to alter the format before this place even opens from what we had planned and uh, try to get you and a lot of the DJs that have been here tonight and all the people from the dances uh, in the 60s to come out, and we will do, I promise you, when the Frontier opens, we will do a Pittsburgh Reunion of all the people from the clubs and all the jocks that played there. Let's dip into uh, the uh, mellow sounds right here. This is one that uh, you got to listen to carefully. It's by the Ideals, and it tells a story. It's called Magic. A teenage boy walked up to his much older and wiser friend and said, Tell me. How will I know when I'm in love? His friend smiled and said, that everyone gives them their undivided attention, so would everybody please look at the four pearls. Look at me. Look at me. 